0: Well, how do you follow that? (laughs) I mean that's just not fair when you have baby Holland. (laughs) Wow, and she's gorgeous. Um, Well, before we begin this morning's message, we have a brief announcement. Uh, One of the highlights of our summer, really at the end of our summer, is worship at the Res, worship at the Boulder Reservoir. This year it's Sunday, August 14th, so mark your calendars. And even more importantly, if you've not been baptized or if you have someone in your family who has not been baptized, and would like to be baptized, this is the opportunity to have that done. It's really special. It's full immersion baptism in the reservoir with the whole church community around you and a big picnic afterwards. So let us know uh, if you'd like a baptism. You need to email lindsay.waymire at gracecommons.org. Please be sure to do that. Thank you. Well, uh, surprise, surprise. Today, our transitional lead pastor, Randy Baer, was scheduled to begin our new sermon series, One Another. But he tested positive for COVID yesterday. So who are you going to call? <laughs> um, COVID is going around, isn't it? Uh, it's affecting our church staff, and it's likely affecting you and your families and your friends. So I just want you to be careful. Uh, as some of you know, I had it several weeks ago, and I was fully uh, vaxxed and boosted. And now, I suppose, uh, according to the research, we now have super immunity. But let's be careful out there, okay? So, today, to use a biblical reference, I'm going to play Aaron to Randy's Moses. The words of this sermon are Randy's, he's written them out, but I'm the voice. So I'll be doing what Shirley Davis did for me when I had COVID about four weeks ago. Uh, And before we get to the sermon proper, uh, just a moment of personal sharing. A lot of you have been asking about my mother and what's the update on my mom. As many of you know, my mom has been battling cancer. She's been on hospice uh, and Rupali uh, and I have gone out to visit. I was out there a week and a half ago and my mom is uh, rapidly declining. Um, so dad is working uh, really hard to care for her. We've upped the care, but I don't think it's gonna be much longer. Uh, we have had some wonderful conversations. Uh, we've, we've said what we've needed to say. And one night when I was there uh, in Southern California visiting her, um, I sang her her favorite hymn. And it was the hymn, Abide With Me. And I came back here last Sunday. And do you remember what the last sermon, uh, hymn was? Abide With Me. And I don't know about you, but sometimes God does those things in my life which are just reminders that God is keeping track with me, that God, God knows what's going on. And I hope that you get your own version of that. But anyway, let's get into today's message. Um, this new sermon series follows closely on the series that we've been in and have recently completed. That was called Close Encounters with Jesus. And it's our prayer that in this new sermon series, uh, One Another, we would just continue that theme close encounters with Jesus. Today we're going to look at this parable that's already been read in part and we're going to think about what it means to be a faithful disciple of Christ. So let's begin by taking this parable that Kelsey read for us. Let's take it at face value. Seeds get sown and where they land determines how well they're going to grow. And if we assign meaning to each part of this parable and treat it like an allegory, here's what you get. The sower is God. The seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the soil, the soil is our hearts. Using this interpretation, the explanation that Jesus gives of this story, we might think that the point is to do everything we can to become good soil. But we would be wrong to do that there are at least three problems with this approach. Number one, this is a parable. It's not an allegory. An allegory has all different shades of meaning. It's like a poem or a story that can be interpreted on many, many levels. But in contrast, a parable is a simple story that can illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson. It's simple so we can understand it immediately. Jesus wants us to get this parable and allow the parable, his word, to do his work in our hearts. So, number one, this is a parable. Number two, we can't change the soil of our hearts. Only God can do that. And number three, the last and most important problem with this kind of interpretation is that it makes the story about us, about the soil. But the parable is not about us. It's for us. This parable, like all of scripture, is really about God and God's extravagant generosity. God is the sower, scattering seed liberally, extravagantly, even wastefully everywhere. God sows. It's what God does. It's what God keeps on doing. God keeps throwing seeds regardless of where the seed might land. God is love. And love is generous, lavish, abundant, eager to share what is good with us. God will not withhold his word from anyone. God will not deny access to the good news of the gospel to any person. God sows liberally, even wastefully. The writer David Lewes writes, a sower who is ridiculously generous with the amount of seed he scatters, throwing it not only on the good soil, but on the soil that even non-farmers can recognize weren't good bets. Thorny soil, rocks, and even a beaten path. I mean, what are the chances the seed is going to take root in that? But that's our God. God doesn't use a computer-driven tractor to plot out perfectly spaced rows, carefully inserting each seed to the exact depth of carefully prepared soil for optimum germination. No. God scatters the good news of the kingdom of God liberally, even in places where it's not likely to grow or bear fruit. That's our God. God sows everywhere. Whether on the path of the rocky soil, among thorns, in the good soil, the good news cannot be contained. God does not discriminate between good soil and bad soil. God throws the seed of the kingdom everywhere, and it goes out into all the world to transform any of us who will accept it. Randy writes this, Remember what my ancestors who farmed the land knew. Number one, a farmer is a man or a woman outstanding in their field. That is a joke. But seriously now, a seed can only become fruitful when it stops being a seed. In other words, a seed must die to become a plant. It breaks open just as God has broken out into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. As it grows, it becomes something that's not a seed anymore. It becomes a plant that bears more seed. So the parables read us. They read where the seed lands and how we understand the word and absorb it into our lives, how well our ears are attuned to it. God's word determines the extent to which it can change us, transforming each of us into fruitful plants that can bear fruit in our lives. The good news is that Jesus Christ helps us in this process. He helps all of us who call upon him on faith, in faith and are willing to receive his guidance. In fact, he helps us interpret this parable. So I would like to invite you to the remainder of our text starting in verse 18. Let's take a look at it. Jesus says, When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall away quickly. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop. Yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. The word of our Lord. In other words, Jesus desires for us, his followers, to be good soil that will bear a huge amount of fruit. 30, 60, 100 fold. So to be growing disciples, fruitful in our lives, that's the goal that Jesus has for us. He wants us to become good soil, a place where the seeds of God's word can break open and become a great harvest. The question for you and me is, are we willing to be broken? Are we willing to let Christ crack open the hard soil of our hearts and change us into someone new, someone whose life demonstrates God's abundant generosity and grace? Are we? Randy has three application questions to apply this to our lives today. Let's take a look at them. There they are. Each of us needs to ask ourselves these questions. First of all, what kind of soil were you when you first met Jesus? Do you remember that, some of you? Many of you have followed Jesus for many years, maybe even decades. What kind of soil were you like at the beginning? Think about that. Number two, what kind of soil are you right now? Because you know soil can change. What kind of soil are you right now? Number three, what is your next step to becoming healthy soil? But, Randy, you say, I have been a follower of Jesus for years, even decades. Why isn't there more fruit in my life? I don't know about you, but I ask that question about myself often. Why isn't there more fruit in my life? The late Christian author and professor of philosophy, Dallas Willard, helps us to answer the question, why isn't there more fruit in my life? Willard outlines three types of Christian life. Let's take a look at these. Number one, we can try harder to live up to the commands, the commandments. You know something? So many of us are caught in this first attempt. Too many of us get stuck right here in number one. We see the Christian life And the spiritual disciplines, like going to church, hearing the word of God preached, praying, reading our Bibles, sharing our faith, doing justice, loving kindness, walking humbly with our God, all good things, we primarily see these as tasks for us to do. Get busy. And so we think, I've got to try to work harder. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of us come to church and assume that's what it's about. It's about being religious and working hard. But get this, trying harder, strategy number one, is doomed to failure. This was a strategy of the Pharisees, that first century Jewish group that Jesus jousted with. They were hard workers when it came to religion. They were the best, hardest workers. And Jesus jousted with them because that wasn't the way he intended. You remember the Apostle Paul, for example. He was a Pharisee, chief writer of our New Testament letters. He spent his life trying to work harder. And finally, he broke through to grace, the grace of Jesus Christ. In the rest of his life, he was a fruitful disciple. If you simply try harder to be a good person and do number one here, you will be frustrated, you will be anxious, And you will be exhausted. Number one is not going to work. So maybe we do number two instead. We live in defeat. We call it brokenness. And we rest in forgiveness and grace. And we leave it there. That is a part way truth. It comes when we've resigned ourselves to living a life of defeat. When our bad habits and sins overtake us. And we get stuck. You know you're broken, you know you need the grace of Jesus Christ, but you miss the the fruitfulness and the life change. So you're counting on God's forgiveness and grace, all good things, and hoping that when you see God face to face, God will accept you, accept me. In other words, you're stuck in Romans chapter 7. Some of you might want to know, where do I go? What should I read in my Bible? Here's what I would say today. Read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8. Do it this week. This is the, I would say, the gold nugget of the New Testament, certainly in the writings of the Apostle Paul. But in chapter 7, Paul basically outlines how we can get stuck, how sin can become habituated and we cannot move forward in the Christian life. Now, let's be clear. The nature of God's grace is that he will welcome us. Praise be to God. But think of all that we are missing if that's only where we remain. We need to continue to grow, to move into Romans chapter 8, where there's joy, where there's the Spirit's power, where there's peace. So let's think about number three. Living in defeat, trying harder, these don't work. What about number three? This is where Willard would have us go. Discipleship. Active grace, grace that's not passive and stuck, but grace that moves us forward with the disciplines in the process of spiritual formation toward Christ-likeness. Randy writes, as the old hymn puts it, just a closer walk with thee, grant it, Jesus, if you please. Friends, this is God's will for us, that we would bear fruit in our lives and that in the process we would grow into joyful intimacy with Jesus Christ. Randy urges us with these words: "Brothers and sisters in Christ. We don't want to miss this intimate relationship by spending our life trying harder, or living in defeat in this cul-de-sac where we don't move forward. We rest on God's grace, but He doesn't take us forward. We don't let that happen. Instead, we all want the fruit of the spirit, what Dave Palmer told us last week and reminded us about, these wonderful Christian character qualities love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, and all the rest. We want to experience the joy that comes from letting Jesus take full hold of our lives and lead them outward. Dallas Willard writes this. He says that the condition of life sought for by human beings through the ages is attained in the quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. Friends, that's the key to healthy soil. The quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. Have you discovered that? I'm not asking if you're religious. I'm certainly not asking that. But have you discovered the quiet, transforming friendship of Jesus? That's where spiritual power is. That's where sustenance is. And it's up to us simply to let him have us. To trust him to give our lives to him so where are you this morning where are you in friendship with jesus where are you in these three strategies are you trying harder please don't do that don't are you are you stuck in brokenness don't 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 do that don't be stuck there don't be in that cul-de-sac or are you on the path of discipleship trusting jesus in his friendship that's where he would have us be in order to bear fruit let me pray for you Lord, I thank you that we can gather like this as a church family. I thank you that we can listen to your word and be challenged by it. And I pray for us this morning. I pray for those engaged in religious business, trying to become better people. I pray for the frustration and the emptiness and the dryness that that can bring. And I pray that you would move them from mere religion to the joy of knowing you personally and as a friend. I think of those who are stuck in bad habits, stuck needing your grace but not moving through that bad habit into new life. And I pray for your transformation. Grant them the grace. Grant us the grace to trust you. And then I pray, Lord, for this wonderful transforming friendship that you offer. Lord, help us to draw near to you and enjoy that together. In your name we pray, amen.